Well, this morning I'm going to uh, not give you a long introduction. I'm going straight into our text. And uh, the text is Acts chapter 13, beginning at verse 14. Okay? Today. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day, um, they, uh, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. And Paul stood up, and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. And for a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. And after these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man from the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From the offspring of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and while John was completing his course, he kept saying, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. But behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us the word of this salvation is sent out. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. And for many days he appeared to those who came with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled his promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And as for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no more to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, 
He also says in another psalm, Thou wilt not allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Take heed, therefore, so that the thing spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel, and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. And as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that, they, that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, Many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. Well, you have just heard one of the most amazing sermons ever preached. <laughs> and I didn't even have to do it. <laughs> I just read it. it this is an incredible thing. We're going to see next week just how many people within that city were impacted by this message. Now, we can see on the map here that uh, um, we can see that, that uh, where, where, where they are in this particular journey. They started off in Antioch in Syria. That's over here. And then they went to Cyprus because that's where Barnabas came from. And now they've moved from Paphos up to Perga. They've gone by sea. And when they got to Perga, we know that John Mark left them. And we're going to get into that later on because that's a, a major uh, problem that their support team was split up and that the, in this first missionary venture where they're going out, we hear they make their way all the way up over these mountains. You can see this is, this is green, but that's a mountain range here, okay? So they're going up over, they're walking. They may have a donkey. I don't know where they would have gotten the donkey. It doesn't say anything about donkeys. So, but if they're walking up over the mountains till they get here to uh, Antioch in Pisidia, this is not something that's just taken a couple of days. We, we tend to read very quickly. You know, they, they arrived in, in uh, Perga, then they went up to Antioch in Pisidia, and we have no idea that there's a whole journey where they stop, they have to eat, they got to cook, they got to sleep, maybe they got to work a little bit to earn some more money to get on with what they're doing. Luke, uh, who has not... No, Luke hasn't joined them yet. Uh, he's just writing about this. But he has an idea because he joins them later on, and he understands that this is not just a simple little thing. And whether you are, if you've never been to Turkey, 
um, the, the, the weather's kind of like this. It's hot. <laughs> and there's lots of desert. And so um, it's not the most comfortable type of uh, climate to be walking in. And of course, if it rains, you've got the mud. You got all this going on. So here we go into this place in Pisidian Antioch. And they come to this city. They find a synagogue. That's a small building. And there are some Jews and some God-fearing uh, proselytes. Those are Gentiles, and they're sitting there. And what did they do? This is interesting, because this is very similar. This is the beginning of Paul's ministry, his public ministry. We've already seen what he did in Jerusalem and in Damascus. And what he did, they just said that he was one of the teachers in Antioch in Syria. And then he was a part of what was going on. But what happened when he got to Paphos in, in, uh, in uh, Cyprus, that's over on the west coast, when he got there, he was a very vocal man and God used him in a mighty way uh, that the governor of Cyprus gets saved. But now this is the first sermon that we read that Paul preached. And so when he gets up there, they go to this synagogue, and what happens is the same thing that happened when Jesus, after he was baptized and came out of the desert, and he goes into Nazareth, he goes into the synagogue, and they give him the book to read. He sits down, and he reads from Isaiah, and then he begins to speak, and declares that this is the beginning of his ministry. So that the way in which this is phrased, it lets us understand that this is the beginning of a very powerful ministry that's going to take place from here on out. And it's going to uh, encompass most of the New Testament, and it's giving us a foundation of how they went about doing ministry to establish new churches. This is a fascinating thing. Now, Paul picks up on this. Because what, what he's done is that he and Barnabas went in and they sat down. They're not doing anything. They're just sitting there while they read from the scriptures. They're reading from the law. That's the first five books of the Bible, the first five books of Moses. And the, the prophets, we don't know whether they went to Isaiah or Jeremiah or the minor prophets. We don't know which ones they read. All we do, Habakkuk. I'm going to say Habakkuk because he actually quotes Habakkuk and he quotes Isaiah in this particular, uh, and the Psalms in this particular passage. He's, they're, they're, they're not doing nothing. They're just sitting there like you're sitting there listening to me, right? And I read from the scriptures, is that right? <laughs> and you were sitting there and you are listening. And then the synagogue leader just said to him, he says, brethren, Welcome. Have you got a word of encouragement for us? In other words, he opens the door and he says, I want you to be, I want us to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged. You're welcome here. Paul picks up on that later in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. What does he do? He says that this is what happens when you gather together. Now, we don't know a whole lot about the structure of the churches that were established back then. But this one thing we do know, he says, when you come together, everybody has something. 
Somebody has a song, somebody has a, has a hymn, somebody has a, a word of encouragement or a scripture that they want to read. And because this was the way that the early church started, I'm just going to do that right now. We're just going, this is part of my sermon, by the way, so I am not expecting somebody to stand up and preach. Is that clear? I don't want anybody taking my sermon away from me because I still have a whole lot to go through. But I do want to give everybody an opportunity just to stand up or from your place where you are, just to share an encouragement or a Bible verse or something that happened to you in this week that, that God's been real to you. This is Alan, by the way. He's here for the second time to visit us. He's with the Gideons. Hey, Alan. Well, I'll share something that's encouraging to me every day. Um, my name's Alan Creech, like you said. I'm with the Gideons. Uh, many of you may have heard of the Gideons. We're kind of known for places of Bible and Oakdale Road. Um, but we do so much more than that. When we give them out in prisons, in uh, schools, we give this military to the boot camp and uh, the military. And so we've been uh, sowing seeds. That's what we do. We sow seeds. We've been sold seeds in Fender County. Uh, last month at the Blueberry, Blueberry Festival, uh, we gave out uh, these Bibles at a table, and our rough estimate was 1,500. 1,500 Bibles we gave out. Wow. Um, the schools, uh, this past May, we, we, we prayed, we were able to get into Fender County schools. So every school, from middle school to high school, we were able to place these Bibles.
some, some Gideon somewhere placed a Bible on his own hand. He chose the seed, and he reaped it, and we know the value. So I'm, Amazing. I'm thankful uh, to be with you guys today, and I'm encouraged that Isaiah 65, 11 says, the world will not return void. So whenever we give one out, uh, we know that's going to be just one way. So thanks for having me today. Jim, Jim, would you uh, do me a favor and just pray for... Alan, and those 1,500 Bibles that went out at the Blueberry Festival, that God would use them. Just a quick little prayer. Yeah. We got another testimony or word or Bible verse that God's laid on your heart. Direct your path. What a, thank you for sharing that. That is powerful. That's powerful. And God's at work. We don't see it all, but God's at work here. Somebody else. One more. What an encouraging word. Thank you. I'm encouraged by that. See, if it was for nobody else, it was just for me. Praise God. <laughs> what about you, Chris? You got something? Hey, you're being shy this morning. Okay, well, I'm glad you brought your friends with you. That's great. Wonderful. Is anybody else? Well, I want to tell you something that that is just a little taste of what maybe the early church experienced in Pisidia and Antioch. Okay, they didn't know what was going on, but he opened it up, and suddenly, what they didn't expect, they had no idea who Barnabas and Paul were. They'd never been there before, right? And so they say, if you've got something, I mean, we have just been encouraged by three major uh, things right now that dealt with God's word, that dealt with a testimony, with something that God is doing, and, and it's, it's a blessing to all of us. How many of you were not blessed by those three testimonies? Well, I'm glad that there's no, no hands have gone up. Okay, that's wonderful. All right, now then, he, he gets up into this situation, and he's going to tell them something. He's got a message that he wants to share that's burning on his heart. And I find it fascinating just to look at the parts of this particular message that he's bringing to the people. It starts off with in his a quick, a real quick overview. 
Now remember when Stephen was being, was being uh, persecuted and just before he was stoned, he looked up into heaven and he saw the Son of God standing beside the throne of God. He shared a message where he focused on the beginning of the Hebrew people with Abraham and went on through the history, a wonderful sermon that he gave as his first and last sermon. <laughs> Here, he doesn't even start with Abraham. He just glosses over Abraham. He just says, go straight into Egypt. And he says, we became a great nation. God blessed us and we became a nation. When we came out, we spent 40 years in the wilderness and then we spent another 10 years conquering Canaan and after 450 years about, here we are as a nation, we have been uh, here. We had judges and after judges came uh, our first king. He, he reigned for 40 years, but then David came. And David, he focuses on just a little bit more. He, I mean, he's gone through all this history to say, this is who we are. This is where we've come from. This is, this is part of our history and our background. And, and in all of this, we've got prophets and we've got, you know all about that stuff. He's not spending time on it. But he says, David has a prophetic word. And his life speaks to us about not just a king for our people, but a king of all kings. And now there's a whole switch. He's not doing history anymore. He's not telling a story anymore. What he does now is he says that because of the promise that God gave to our forefather David, from his lineage has come a Savior. He focuses, first of all, on the need that everybody needs a Savior. And he says the Savior has arrived. Wow. Now everybody's ears are perking up. He just, he just said, I identify with you. This is our fathers and so forth. And, and, and we've just come up to this point where there's the need for a Savior. Now, let me tell you something. John the Baptist, you remember him. He was the one who was baptizing for repentance. He was saying, I'm preparing the way for the Savior to come. There is somebody that was Elijah, the voice calling in the wilderness that Isaiah prophesied about, and he's going to make the way ready for the Savior to come. Now, in the middle of this little message that, that he's got, in verse 26, he now mentions Abraham. He says, brethren... Sons of Abraham's family, that's the Jews. I'm so grateful for the next little clause <laughs> because it includes me. He says here, brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God. Those among you who are God-fearing. If you fear God. To us, the word of this salvation is sent out. This word of salvation is to those 
is intended for those who fear God and who have come through the whole history that I just briefly glanced over. Suddenly you've got God-fearing proselytes there, people who were of Greek or Roman or Turkish descent who have been caught up in the idea that there is only one God and they've, they're forsaking their many gods out there and they're starting to come in to say, I need to understand something about this one true God. And in the midst of that, he addresses those people and he says, salvation is for you. His whole focus now is that there is a need that we have to address that's in the lives and in the hearts of people, and that is that we have a need for salvation. Move from there to where we are right now. We live in a day where people do not fear God, and not only do they not fear God, they do not understand that they have a need for salvation from anything because they want to live the way that they want to live. And we have a real problem that if I were to stand up and address just a crowd of people that gathered around and I were to say to those of you who are Jewish and to those of you who fear God, I wouldn't have necessarily a very big crowd. Different when I work amongst people in uh, other countries around the world, I just stand up. I, I, I wish I didn't put up any pictures there, but I have these pictures where I'm just in a village and suddenly all these kids gather around me because they're looking at a white man. <laughs> and, and there's hundreds of them. It's incredible what happens when we move away from a history lesson, or a lesson about morals, or a lesson about how to be kind, or a lesson about how we can improve our lifestyle, or a lesson on how can you uh, develop your, your financial status in life, or we move away from how I feel sorry for myself, and, and we need all kinds of, of uh, psychiatric or psychological help in our lives. When we move away from that, to a message that deals with salvation, there is an entirely different focus here. And the message is no longer just a self-help message or a good message, but it's something that pierces and penetrates hearts to the point where they understand that they are not in a right standing with God. Something happens when there is proper preaching of the word, it's no longer just doing something that's nice. It's something where God grabs a hold of a person's heart on the inside and starts to shake them up. And on the inside, they begin to wonder about their eternity and where they're going to spend that eternity. And suddenly you have people that wonder about the fact Am I going to survive what is going to happen when this life is over? Is this what it's all about? And they start asking serious questions to deal with the very issues that a moral or 
nice or friendly conversation does not attack. Suddenly, you're dealing with an issue that is between you and a living God, and that's why he goes in this next portion where he not only says that we've got salvation, he says there are three things that are really powerful right here. One is that he focuses on promises. I'm sorry here. We got that quick historical overview. And we looked at the messianic perspective that he's, he's from the lineage of David. He's arrived. He's here. The Messiah is here. The Savior has come. And now... He's looking at the promises of God. He's saying the promises that God gave when Jesus came. It starts with the focus that the scriptures are speaking about what God is going to do. And that beginning in Psalm 2, he's going to talk about, this is my son, today I have begotten you. A psalm of David. He's he's focusing on what's going to happen to him, that he is going to die. You just don't read Psalms 22, 23, 24, 25 without understanding the focus that's on the cross. And suddenly, he's picking up and saying, not only did God promise that there's going to be a Savior from the lineage of David, and that's why in Matthew chapter 1, we have have the, the, the whole... Uh, lineage from <laughs> that starts with Adam and goes all the way through to Jesus, and that David's right there in the middle. He's, he's part of this whole event of what God has spoken about. He says, God's promises are real. And when, when David writes about how he's concerned that, that, that there's decay, that, that, Your body is decaying, but he sees prophetically that the one who comes, who is the Messiah, will not suffer decay. Can you believe that he wrote that 1,500 years before Jesus came? And then he sends up and and Paul stands up and says, David, they buried him and his body decayed. It's in the ground, it's gone. But you cannot find the body of Jesus because he was raised from the dead. And so now he goes from the promise to the reality of resurrection. He moves away from just looking at what God's promises are to the fact that God's promises are fulfilled. And it happens, maybe it took him a lot of generations for this to happen, but he did it. He did it. When the Messiah comes, he is one who fulfills the promises of God. You see, when when you look at sin, when you look at the issues in our lives, we, we feel guilt, we feel shame, we feel upset, we want to hide things, we don't want people to know things about us that 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 might make make us come out in a bad light, whatever it is. And in the midst of that, God who sees everything comes and says, I don't want you to put your trust in laws. I want you to put your trust in my promises. 
We move from God-fearing to God-trusting. Let me say that again. That was good. We move from being God-fearers to God-trusters. When we hear the message of salvation, the message of forgiveness, the message of what God does, we move away from just being afraid of God to being those who are able to trust God that He will perform His work in us, not in my own ability, but in the ability of the resurrected one. It's the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead that dwells in me. Oops. It's the same Spirit, Paul writes, that raised Christ from the dead that dwells in you, if you believe. When we move away from just feeling guilty and upset, by all the things that have happened, and I turn to put my faith and my hope and my trust in Jesus. And I start to live according to His ability. It's no longer me trying to do what's good. No, no, this this old body is going to die. And I just attended my own funeral. Diane attended her funeral last Sunday. (laughs) She was there when she got buried. I was there too. (laughs) Put her down under the water, brought her back up out. I want to tell you something. She She is raised to the newness of life, the one who puts their trust in Jesus. She had to do that. She didn't like water. She she was afraid of water. (laughs) And I saw her hanging on to the wall. She didn't want to go under. I said, you got to take your hand off. You got to trust me. Now, if she trusted me with her life to bring her up out of that water, we have to trust Jesus that he's going to bring us up out of the grave. If I can trust Jesus to raise my body, this destructible body, to raise it indestructible, if I can trust him to do that, I need to trust him with everything right now. I need to trust him with my relationships. I need to trust him with my attitudes. I have to trust him with my finances. I have to trust him with my my family. I have to trust him to transform my mind and transform my heart. I have to put my trust in his promises. Why? Because his promises are all yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Something happened. How many of you have just felt something happen just while I've been preaching here? How many of you have felt the presence of God? Look at that. You see, preaching is not just a self-help. No, it's something where God shows up. And when God shows up and He touches our hearts, we turn away from our ability to trust His abilities. The focus of the message is not that if you do this, it would be nice and wonderful. The focus of the message is Jesus has come to save. And he begins that salvation by forgiving you and establishing his presence 
in you and with you for the rest of your eternal life. Eternal life. Did you hear me say that? Not just for now, for a little bit, until I die. No, forever. When we begin our trust in Jesus, now it continues. This is the message. He focuses on the resurrection. He focuses on the promises. He focuses on what Jesus has accomplished. He said he came and we knew who he was. They didn't believe him and they killed him just like they killed all the other prophets. <laughs> With one difference. His body did not undergo decay. He's alive. He's alive. The proof that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior lies in his ability for us to experience his forgiveness now and to know with confidence that we will be with him eternally. The resurrection is not just a matter of figment of my imagination. The resurrection is as real as Jesus being alive and the one who has touched you this morning in this place. And if he can do that, you can put your trust in him. You can do it. You can do it. Oh, I love this message. <laughs> See, don't have, don't have to preach a new message. I can just take this message and look at it, and it touches our hearts 2,000 years later. Isn't that incredible? Guy preaches a message, another fellow writes down what he preached, <laughs> and 2,000 years later, it's still alive and active and powerful. And that's why we need to put our hope and our faith and our trust in the promises of Jesus. It doesn't matter what we face, what issues we confront. You heard this morning these Bible verses that were shared here. They're powerful. And as we put our hope in those kinds of verses, as we put our hope and our trust in what God's going to do, he's going to lead and direct our paths. That's exactly what Jim quoted in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. How about you this morning? Is there something that you need to yield and give to Jesus? Is there something that you need to put into his hands and trust him with, whether it's your life, whether it's your eternity, whether it's particular sins, whether it's relationships, whether it's health, whether it's finances, you can handle that by putting it into the hands of Jesus and let him speak and adjust your lifestyle to his promises so that they become fulfilled in your life. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is powerful. It brings us forgiveness. It brings us confidence. It brings us hope and encouragement. Your word is good. 
And we've seen that already this morning, how good it is to us. And now, Lord Jesus, you know the situation of each individual here. If you've got an issue of something that you need to surrender to Jesus, would you just, just put that in your hand and put your hand out like that and say, Jesus, I'm offering it to you. I'm not looking around. I could care less who it is, but you just need to do it yourself. Put it in your hand and reach out and say, Jesus, I'm giving it to you. It can be your health, it can be your finances, it can be your family, it can be your, your whatever needs you have, your confidences. Just give it to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I trust you to deal with this. I'm putting my trust in your promises right now. We pray, Father, that you would take these burdens. You would put peace in our lives. And that you would speak to us step by step, whatever it is that we need to do, so that we can walk through this life with assurance and confidence of your presence with us. We're glad, Lord, that we can surrender these things to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.